I've been taking an informal survey over the last few days, talking to just about anybody who comes into my orbit, asking uh, what we think of extravagance. On the whole, when we think of extravagance, it seems that we think in terms of money. We think in terms of cost. In one conversation, one of our numbers suggested that an $800,000 swimming pool was extravagant, and someone else said, no, no, not really. Uh, an airplane is extravagant. Another disagreed. Uh, others use words like excessive or indulgent or profligate. See, when we think about extravagance, at least first off, most of us, men and women, old and young, tend to be disapproving. Think about financial imprudence and excess. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? But we modify our thinking, it turns out, if the question changed. What do you think about extravagant generosity? What do you think about extravagant love? Oh, well, that's different. That's different. What we've done, I think, is taken money out of the occasion. There are clearly states or occasions, at least in theory, when we approve of extravagance. In fact, we distrust moderation. No one wants to be moderately loved or, or slightly forgiven. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. In practice, most of us are what, what we would call ethical pluralists, which is to say we do different things on different occasions. We prefer being moderately excessive to being excessively moderate. We know that we should not operate in a single mode in all circumstances and in all relationships. As surely as there is a time for plain song, so there's a time for rich harmonies. There are times for rules, there are times for breaking those rules, and all in the name of love. Now, Judas Iscariot did what many of us would have done at that dinner party in Bethany, with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. He had a visceral reaction. The Bible says his reaction was because he wanted to steal money and give it to the poor, but I think there was something additional going on. I mean, when Mary starts starts this very intimate, physical act with Jesus in the middle of a dinner party, he, he, he just, something just wasn't right. That just wasn't okay. And, and he starts getting bent out of shape, but he doesn't really want to take on his Lord or his host or the sister of his host. And so he, he does what many of us do, and he displaces all of that stuff and starts looking around for something to blame, something over which he can be righteous. Something, something where he can feel good about the fact that he doesn't feel good about what's going on. He looks around for something to blame with unassailable logic. It's often the way with conflict. We deflect attention from the presenting issue and the possibility that we will be criticized by pointing at something else. Years ago, I spent, this is the probably best forgotten period of my life, but I spent uh, three summers looking after British tourists, in one, in one summer in Tenerife and two summers in Miami Beach. <laughs> now, Miami Beach in the summer with uh, Brits on holiday who've, who've been faithful to this holiday company and having the dream holiday of their life. They've been sold finally a chance to come to America and to see the real thing. I took them on the Western-style hoedown. And, and, uh, 
and, and on the, if any of you know Fort Lauderdale, the notorious Jungle Queen River Ride with dinner. I took them to Disney World and to Key West and what have you. And what happens in Miami in the summer is that it rains every afternoon for a couple of hours. Thunderstorms, and, and it doesn't cool the weather down. It just means you can't do whatever you had planned to do. And it's why the holidays were cheap in the summer. <laughs> but it didn't stop people having all kinds of expectations and being terribly disappointed when, when things didn't work out exactly as they were supposed to, when something just isn't right. You're not supposed to have rain every afternoon of the holiday of a lifetime, visiting the true America. And so people would start to complain, those who didn't find their way to the bars, that's what most of them did, but the rest of them complained. They found something to blame, something to be angry about. And the clever ones talked about, you know there's rust on the playground equipment. You know, and, and they thought they might get some money off next year's holiday if the complaint, and they did actually, you know, they were clever. But then there were the people who weren't so smart and they just complained about anything. The food was included. The restaurant was actually pretty good. And, and many of the people were fairly sheltered. And, and one in particular had never seen uh, cherry tomatoes before. He said, that restaurant's a rip-off. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He goes, I'm so sorry, what do you mean? He said, those tomatoes are the smallest tomatoes I've ever seen. <laughs> and I, I was given the grace not to just burst out laughing or sneer at him or any of that, because he was really unhappy. And, and his unhappiness was just leaking out everywhere, just looking for somewhere to land. And I'd just assume it wasn't on me at that time. It's what Judas did in our story today, I think, part of what Judas did in our story today. He, he wasn't really worried about the poor, and Jesus called him on it. And Jesus did what we sometimes have difficulty doing, particularly when we're unhappy. And that was he recognized extravagant grace when he saw it. He didn't chastise Mary for her profligacy or her excess, as Judas did. And as most of us would do, frankly, if we were thinking first about monetary value of the oil of pure nard. Jesus recognized this graceful gift which the church remembers as his being anointed for a burial anointing that did not take place at the proper time. Jesus had a way of doing that, of seeing past money and seeing past resistance and feelings and people looking for someone to blame and seeing what is really going on, what, 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 what's going on in the heart of the giver. It's what he saw with the, when he told the story of the prodigal that we heard last week, the story of the prodigious love of the father for his wayward son. And when the older brother experienced his father's generosity as unfair, Jesus told a story of extraordinary grace and forgiveness that the brother couldn't see. Couldn't see at that time anyway. It got in the way of his enjoyment because he was so worried about the equity question. And so it was for Judas, and so it will be for us, unless we can recognize that the good fortune of another is not something we need to begrudge when there's no real offense being given to us. That oil was Mary's to do with as she will. Jesus saw that generosity that God, Jesus uh, chose to bless Jesus with it as generously as what Jesus saw in the woman at the temple who gave a little coin, an insignificant person, the widow who put her might in the treasury. And he said he's given, she's given all she had, an extraordinary, wonderful, graceful gift. Or, or, the, or the wonderful sister in this parish who, who, who has given $25 
in response to our appeal recently, who's coming up on two years of unemployment and just wanted to make this gift. What happens is Jesus starts to affirm the giver and starts saying what's significant is not the money. What's significant is the generosity. And suddenly people that we might not notice or people of whom we might disapprove or people who seem to be fairly insignificant become front and center, become the most wonderful gift and reminder of God's extraordinary, extravagant love for us. And so when we practice generosity, however you do it, making a, many of us make a pledge and, and keep it that sort of sustained practice. There are lots of other ways, but however you do it, that, that, that practice is part and parcel of, of engaging the practice for those, consciously for those times when we can just find ourselves freed find ourselves liberated, find ourselves more fully who we were created to be because we are able to make these extravagant uh, gifts of love. And also, we practice so that we can be recognized by God, not, not as, a, as a quid pro quo, but as a gift. Somehow, when we are generous, when we're freed by grace to be generous, we find ourselves more fully the kind of people that we believe ourselves created to be. And so, with Jesus, we can recognize the extraordinary gifts of grace when we can set aside our blaming, and we can look past money and start seeing what really matters. Start seeing, if you like, with the eyes of faith. Start seeing each other the way Jesus sees us. Let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer.